0: Welcome to the Take 5 podcast from Fortinet, where you give us a few minutes and we provide five cybersecurity insights based on the current trends impacting today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team, focusing on the technologies and challenges that leaders will face in the upcoming year across key industries and technologies. I'm your host today, Jonathan Nguyen, Fortinet's Field CISO for Strategic Services, and today we're talking with Jim Richberg, Fortinet's Field CISO for the Public Sector and Vice President of Information Security, where he's going to be talking about preparing for the new year ahead in the public sector. Welcome, Jim.
1: It's great to be with you today, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. So, Jim, looking back, what challenges was top of mind for for the CISOs in the public sector in 2022?
1: Well, going into 2022, like everyone else, the public sector was still adjusting to the pivot to remote work and expanded digital services for its citizen customers. The big challenge, though, is that the public sector is not monolithic. It ranges from national level entities such as U.S. federal agencies that as a rule, have robust cyber capabilities through state governments and then down to local governments that may have no cyber staff or even full-time IT staff. And yet they are the primary digital interaction with citizens. So it's not a one-size-fits-all problem. And the challenges in 2022 were different for each. For local government, dealing with ransomware was the central challenge. I think I saw a statistic that said in two years, ransomware rose from 10 to 90 percent of insurance claims from local government. Uh, For states, it was the Infrastructure Enhancement and Jobs Act and broadening the security of their burgeoning digital services. And then for the federal government, you could argue it was dealing with the implementation of the administration's various cyber-related executive orders and the changes that sparked them, ranging from supply chain vulnerabilities to nation-state threat activity.
0: Well, wow, So that's a lot has happened over the last six years. How do you think things are going to evolve or, or change going into uh, 2023
1: now? This is, I used to love this question as an intelligence analyst. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and you don't want to say it's going to be dramatically different, but I, I really think Jonathan, it is more of the same. Yeah. We have been talking about advanced persistent threats for a long time, and they will continue to grow in threat and sophistication. Um I talked about ransomware. Ransomware has fueled the rise of what we're now calling not APT, which is usually a euphemism for nation state activity, but APC, criminal activity. The fact that ransomware has been persistently and consistently successful enough that these groups coalesce and stay together rather than disband when the exploit stops working. So they are getting faster. They are getting more sophisticated. That means that the threat activity itself is getting better. Um, In terms of APT, really the surprise of last year was why there was not more advanced persistent threat activity against the U.S., but I would note that this very well may change this year. So yes, threat activity has gotten worse, but I hate to be one of those people, an intelligence analyst who, like a Jeremiah, says, doom and gloom, the sky is falling. The reality is, I think defense has gained in potential even faster than the offense has gained. Uh, that AI-driven automation plus the security mesh ecosystem approach turns the size and complexity of the attack surface from a problem for an organization to a potential asset. You can see things faster than the attacker can can figure out how to exploit them. Uh, But this assumes that you're doing something as the defender. If you are living in the status quo and just doing what you were already doing, you, in fact, are falling behind.
0: Yeah, that that that's fascinating because uh, the corresponding uh, view does uh, say that the advanced attacks haven't uh, accelerated because the, the old attacks are still successful. So sure.
1: I mean I used to yeah. say that when I was you know doing attack things. It's like, look, if you don't make me be good, be be <laughs> sophisticated, if you don't make me use the cool toys, I won't. If right. I can get something off the dark web that gets the job done, guess what? Yeah, I'm only going to be as good as I have to be.
0: That's right. So, out of all those challenges you just outlined, you know, what do you think will be the top ones that uh, that will get the the public sector CISO's mind share moving forward? That's a lot to to handle.
1: So, so again, it's not a monolith. So, for state and local government, I think it's going to be using the money that's come under the bi- the, the bipartisan infrastructure law and the uh, IijA. It's building this new infrastructure where we've got you know. 1.2 trillion in one bill alone that's going to state and local government to execute this in, this refresh of infrastructure. I talk about the digital field of dreams. I mean, when, when Eisenhower signed the interstate transportation bill, no one had an idea how that would utterly transform every facet of American life. Mm-hmm. We have the potential to do something like this over and over again in different infrastructures. Can I tell you how connecting wastewater and highways will be beneficial? No, if I could, I'd frankly be funding a startup but the reality is threat activity already moves from sector to sector. so at a minimum table stakes is going to have to be build interoperability of threat data in because otherwise we are building intentional blindness in and we'll have to live with that as a consequence for many years. And for the federal government, uh, you know last year I would argue was the year of zero trust you know, we had an executive order that told the federal government to, to smartly move to implement that. This year, I would, I would think would be the year of the supply chain. Um, you've heard of SBOM, the Supply yeah. Chain Bill of Materials as an idea. It is the equivalent of saying we want a nutrition and food label for software. Well, the challenge is we don't have an FDA or USDA inspectors That we have to make that work for food. So figuring out what kinds of software artifacts, how do we link them to vulnerabilities? It's a great idea. And I think the federal government and its industry partners have got to roll up their sleeves this year and find and start to at least the crawl part of the crawl walk run to get that kind of software transparency and security that they want.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key word, uh, transparency, right? Um, you know, we were just talking about service providers and the need to, to operate beyond silos. And so, you know, I, I think that's a big theme for all of us, whether public sector or private sectors, how do we work better, not only with our internal partners and stakeholders, but also the the external ones as, as well. Yeah. Um, So when we're talking about, you know, all these challenges and what CISOs are prioritizing, you know, what are some of the things that may be overlooked in terms of strategies or solutions that that you think people still need to be cognizant of?
1: So, so I've always been a big picture guy, and you already hit the siloed part, Jonathan. We're, we're in a field where in the public sector, I see people who still tend to solve this piecemeal, one problem and therefore one point solution at a time. And uh, to be sure, we can have a conversation about helping them gain the data to make those those valid choices. But I think the real problem is how do you integrate or federate security, whether it's across agencies of a government, actually, whether it's across uh, organizations in a given critical infrastructure. The simplest way that I've seen to talk about about integrating security is to say it's a two-part problem. How do I establish shared situational awareness, build a common operating picture, and how do I do something about it? In other words, what is happening And then what do I do to respond to it? Now, there are multiple approaches that you can take to address both parts of those problems. But I I find that the different options tend to leverage a common set of building blocks. Mm. And the building blocks include things like cyber threat intelligence, um, AI and machine learning driven automation, and the fact that these mesh architectures give you ecosystems of integration. And fourth, I tell them, look, maximize the use of commercial products rather than government trying to build solutions themselves. That's especially a temptation at the federal level. I'll go write a contract and spend money, taxpayer money to develop a solution that frankly may already exist. And when you talk about saying it's a matter of, of situational awareness and then an execution of response, I argue that commercial products like SIM and SOAR yeah. are the distilled commercial essence of that. So start yeah. with those as your starting points. They tend to be good at dealing with a variety of inputs, outputting in a similarly diverse fashion, and they are very robust capabilities that are getting better all the time. So I point to this idea of integrating and federating as a problem, and I try to help them break it into bite-sized chunks, tell them, these are I can tell you 10 ways to fail. I tried five of them myself in government, yeah. and then here are different parts of the recipe that we can use to help you solve the problem.
0: Yeah, I I think you're, you're spot on. It's this idea of taking small increments, but somehow orchestrating that so it comes into fruition as something truly broad and integrated and automated. I think that's the hardest part is that over time so many different CISOs and teams take over responsibility and, and it's hard to maintain that continuity of vision, let alone the implementation, right? Yeah, um yeah. so so Finally, you know, talking to a guy who is a former uh, Intel analyst here, let's talk about reconnaissance and talk about this. Sh- how do we address this shift to, to more disruptive cyber threats and how do we do that at speed and at scale? And, and how's that really causing us to, to reconsider a movement towards more active defenses in terms of cyber strategy? What, what are you seeing about that with regards uh, to public sector solutions?
1: So now, of course, for for some parts of the public sector, the big federal agencies' active defense for them can really mean what everybody thinks, which is I'm <laughs> out there doing things that could be called offensive cyber operation. That's a boundary case that only yeah. applies for a small part of the federal family. Yes. Certainly not the if I'm local government, I'm not doing that. Um, I, I think Jonathan that the, this whole thing is a part of building the the, the focus shifting to resilience. Rather than perfection, that we, you know, we're, we've tried to get beyond this moat and castle approach to layered defense. And uh, some of the tools we've talked about in separate conversations, things like decoy technology, things that allow you to have multiple ways of gaining insight into what's going on. Zero trust, you know, zero trust is old wine and new bottles. You and I both lived in a yeah. need to know world in government. We had segmentation of information. We may have had segmentation of buildings, you couldn't go <laughs> someplace. And, and, yes, and yet, did. this is an idea that was created by government. The private sector figured out how to execute it at scale efficiently for globalized enterprises. And and now government got back into the picture. They did a good job of developing vendor and technology agnostic models frameworks, ways which industry can say, oh, yeah, I now see how to apply these specific tools and capabilities to make it work in practice. So resilience is complementary to things like deception technology, to data loss prevention techniques that will allow me to see something I don't intend to get out is getting out. You know, we talk about user training and workforce development, and they're important. Things like, you know, Fortinet's training uh, advancement agenda, Uh, they are very valuable. We need to train the user. We need to train the workforce. But the reality is we're never going to have perfect user behavior or hire our way to full security, especially for salary constrained public sector organizations, people, process and technology. It's a blend of the people skills. It's a blend of the processes and technology like zero trust. And it's a blend of increasingly powerful and integrated technologies. And we add a fourth one, partnership. ranging from things like cyber threat intelligence exchange to the ways public and private sector each have a role to play in countering things like ransomware. Bottom line, Jonathan, no one can secure their enterprise in a vacuum.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that you, you talked about resilience and, and the need to manage risk while executing that mission. Right. So and I think that's another level of maturation that, that, that's happened since you and I first joined the industry when it was, you know, moat and keep and, and we were going to keep everything outside. Right. So yeah, it's so, it's
1: it's that cybersecurity is about risk management. It's not yeah. about perfection. We don't expect perfection and other things. Why expect it here?
0: Yeah. Well, wow. hey, always a fascinating time to, with you, Jim. And so thanks for joining us for this episode of Take 5. For more information about Fortinet and the public sector solutions, please visit our website at www.fortinet.com government. The Take Five podcast is brought to you by Fortinet, securing your digital acceleration with the performance and scale needed to detect to prevent threats across an organization's entire infrastructure, including networks, endpoints, and clouds.